0: Hello and welcome to the First Book Podcast, India's first and only podcast dedicated to helping first-time authors. In this podcast series, we have conversations with best-selling authors and business leaders to understand how they successfully cracked their first book and to learn important book authoring techniques. This conversation helps us to get a sneak peek into their journey as an author. This podcast is done in association with Notion Press, one of India's largest publishing ecosystems. In this episode, we have an interesting conversation with Devdat Patnaik, India's best-known mythologist. I love how he connects mythology with management and leadership. Imagine a person who has authored 30 books, and many of them bestsellers, tell you about his tips, techniques, and secrets of becoming a better author. This is a fantastic conversation, and I would rate this among my favorite conversations I've had with authors. This podcast contains a treasure trove of advice. Let's jump straight into the conversation with Devdat Patnaik.
1: Devdat, thank you so much for agreeing to come on the First Book podcast. Thank you for inviting me. Devdat, one of my first questions that pops up is you know, the audience. Are all people who are aspiring to become authors. And here you are, author over 30 plus books. But I want you to rewind back the time and take us to a point in your life where the seeds of writing passion was sown.
2: You know, honestly, I never, you know, thought of writing a book and then started looking for any publisher. A publisher came to me and said, he wants to publish, write a book, if I could write a book for him. Mm It was a very strange situation because I used to write these columns for magazines
3: Mm
2: -hmm. and I enjoyed it very much and my editor said that I had it in me to write a book and he recommended my name to a publisher who was keen to write a book on mythology. So, and he said, would you write a book on Shiva? And I said, sure. And that's how it all started. It's very funny that I in a way, think about writing a book on mythology and you could be in the space of culture and that space. But I think it sort of organically evolved and the opportunity came to me. it you know, was almost as if I was meant to write a book. So it's not so now I often am not able to be advised to young people who want to become authors. Mm-hmm. Because I said I never really in my head thought of myself as an author. I sort of knew I would love writing in college. And so I had magazine articles and newspaper articles and something that sort of I always enjoyed. Mm-hmm. Even today I have spent most of my time writing columns.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: But the whole idea of turning a column into a book just happened because the publisher came and said, I want a book of Shiva to be written, said, will you consider doing it and it happened.
1: That's very interesting. But you should give credit to your writing ability because of your columns is the reason why you got the book deal in the first place, right? Yes,
2: yes. It was that. I think you have to write a lot of columns, that that's cost the a You're writing on something that not many people write about. Uh, and of course, that topic not so well defined. Mythology is vaguely in the realm of culture. And uh, he said, you know, you seem to be talking about things of the past, you know, rituals and symbols that nobody else talks about. So I think mean, that caught the attention of my editor. Mm-hmm. And he sort of, he some publisher and he met him in a party as a fellow saying and to someone can actually write a book. And he said, oh, you know, sort of uh, a confluence happened, but yes, writing this column made a huge difference.
1: Wow, that's that's very fascinating. So you are um, an MBBS doctor who went on to work at a pharmaceutical company and then a healthcare company. So how did you eke out time to write your columns and pursue your writing passion?
2: So it was very clear. Monday through Friday was my time when I did a job to earn my salary to pay my bills and all the free time. You know, some people go out partying, some people watch movies. I would spend time researching on mythology, and writing on mythology because I loved it. It was my hobby. It was like an intense hobby. You know, some people go hiking, some people go to the gym. I would sort of buy these, very, now I realize not very common books, or uh, relatively rare books, reading on mythology and trying to find connections between things. And writing my columns at that time, so that's something that I did in my spare time. So it was something that I did in my weekend, and sort of it grew larger over time. And when I started writing, I remember the first time I wrote, I didn't have a computer, if I'm not mistaken.
3: <laughs> because this
2: happened somewhere in 1996, when the book of published in And Computers were not really there; they were there in this dot prompt kind of thing. But I have memory of writing my early columns in a, on a typewriter. Wow so I began with the typewriter age and then gradually moved to the M computer thing that time you know that was a big thing not everybody afforded a computer you gave somebody to get the company. The, the, the idea p c had not yet come They yeah. used to be the cyber so yeah i my memory of my first writing work was all typing on a typewriter, actually the column I don't exactly remember when I transitioned to computer, but I think because I had not had really sure so whether the computer the book was written also on a computer not. It's
3: quite exciting. <laughs> Beautiful.
2: I think an important
1: takeaway for all of us is that uh, it's one thing to be absolutely married to your passion, but it's a completely different thing to let the outside world know about your passion. And you, you know, your columns were your vehicle for you to transfer that knowledge and the passion to others, whoever is interested. I think pursuing that writing is super important.
3: Would you agree? So we, uh,
2: it's something that we love to do, and. You know, I always see people when people say that they want to write a book, I say first question is, why do you want to write a book? And I say many people not say why they want to do it. Mm. You know, I was very clear that I want, I loved sharing the knowledge that I was finding in these various places. And my knowledge of these things which are slightly unusual, slightly appropriate, slightly not in the attention space that people would normally go through. So I think my pleasure came from giving people access to unusual knowledge. Mm-hmm. And that was a pleasure and therefore I wanted to express it through my story. And I should write columns that I should illustrate much. So my writing and illustration was part of it. And then I think columns give me a discipline because, you know, the 90s are published once a month, you have to up writing every month. Largely, there's a weekly column, so you do know, but the discipline of it. it. was intensified. So, I mean, I have needs about over 800 columns.
3: Wow.
2: It is uh, doing math, you know, at... Uh, 50 weeks, uh, it's, there are 50 weeks of the year, so I did writing at least one column every week for sixteen years.
1: Wow, yeah. That definitely calls for solid discipline. Yes. And talking on the subject of discipline, how did you instill that into your rigor? Because one of the biggest problems for wannabe authors is that they start off with gusto, with a lot of energy, and then the attention and the passion kind of peters out over a period of time. So, what advice would you give for somebody to instill that feeling of discipline?
2: I think starting with the gusto is the worst thing. It's like going to a gym, but the first time you go to the gym, you spend two hours with the gym, and then you have after legs, and you stop going to the gym after a week. Mm. I think the trick is to do is about, is about rhythm and sustaining that habit.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, even if you write every day for 10 minutes, I will do it every day. I think that's the whole thing. It's about writing it over time, sustaining it every day. It's like any a person who is in bodybuilding, they know that it is about going to the gym every day, or at least once, five times a week, or three times a week. Is that, that is where the magic is. It is not in the one time custom. If you writing about small things, of course it all depends on the writing style. Some people like to write long, short, long articles. They'll ruminate over ideas for days. But I personally believe that you should write something every day. And I think one of the editors, long told me, whatever it is, you have to fix the time for writing. And you should sit on the desk between those times. Whether you write or don't write, you should sit on the desk at that time. I think that is a good advice I got. Great. So, whatever it is, should sit in front of the computer every day for two, three hours. So I will write. If it's a bad writing, good writing, and this That is something that I always do. Right.
1: So, we cooked some questions for you on Facebook and Twitter. And one question that came up was, what is that writing
3: schedule like?
2: So, I write in the morning. So when I write in the morning, when I wake up in the morning, once I'm ready, i straight on my desk. And I keep writing till around lunchtime with a break for breakfast, that's it. So, morning is when I really like. My main writing is between 8 to 12 o'clock in the morning, every day. Mm-hmm. Come Sunday, Monday, Sunday, Sunday, every day I will write for 3 to 4 hours. So at least 500 words, usually it's about fifty thousand words. Wow.
1: Well, and how do you manage distraction? I mean, you're a highly popular guy, you're in the media, so how do you manage that? Mm-hmm.
2: So in the morning, I mean I, I use distractions as an to break away. So when I'm writing usually I put the phone on silent or I sit on the airplane mode mm-hmm. and I start looking at my daily everything only when I take a break, not while I'm writing. So when I take a break I have i look at Facebook and WhatsApp and all that kind of thing. But mainly I will write when I'm writing I avoid distractions. I am not meetings in the morning a little traveling. Mm-hmm. And uh, I say all my friends also know that I, you know, if I'm in a writing mood, I will not be the most socially guy in the world.
3: Got it.
1: Does devdak Patnai face writer's block?
2: Well, I haven't uh, faced writer's block. So, because what I do is I write on different topics. So, one topic is not emerging and it's not cooking very well, I to another topic. And if that is not happening, I do routine work. like so, Lots of illustrations have to be done. So, a lot of mechanical work has to be done. A lot of editing has to be done. So since I write multiple things, I go to some other tasks. If I'm not writing, I'll write anything. If I'm not editing, i will illustrate. If I'm not illustrating, i shading. It's not that I'm organizing my books. So I keep a whole, uh, like I have a choice of about eight or ten tasks I can do in my writing time. So I just keep doing that. And I, I'm addict. All the every day. So, I have nothing else to do. I wish I was as disciplined in my health matters. Going going to the gym, I would perhaps have a better body. <laughs>
3: <laughs> True that.
1: do you have any productivity hack any tips or techniques that has really worked for you
2: well I have a very fairly system, system of writing so I always write the summary of the results I always write table of contents after that so I have the goal in place and the mind to already before I write the major book, major uh, article. then after writing the introduction of the book I always write the conclusion. And and of course, they all change over time, because sort of this is the process I follow. Write the summary, then write the table of content, then write the instructions, then write the conclusion, and then write the rest of it. And uh, in the process, lots of things change and evolve over time, but most of my work goes in framing the story. So I am, my quality of, if mean, somebody wants to analyze my work, my strength is in framing and structuring. Yeah. i not a very good language as much. I'm more crisp and very clear language. I'm not very poetic. You know, I think I should be, do better with my language. Mm-hmm. But my framing is, I think, is very much short-fly. so So, half of everything goes with framing books.
1: Brilliant. I think that's a valuable insight. Do you use any mechanism or any tools to help you with uh, framing the stories?
2: Well, I use the document, Math, in this. Uh, document you know MS Word mm-hmm. I use the document map people don't use the document map I think editors of great. they don't use these lovely tools in the Complex, which is uh, I use file sheet a lot heading 1 heading 2 heading 3 heading 4 mm-hmm. and I use the document map I think these are just good enough for me I don't see more of that sometimes with the complex I use a lot of Excel uh, but generally MS Word is good
1: got it, got it. Do you take any outside help to in order to kind of speed up your writing process? So for example, transcribing it and then having you know, recording it and having other people transcribe it. Any sort of other techniques when well, you use external experts to help you
2: No, I have one set I my my early draft helps me sort of we look at it from fantastic point of view. I really rely a lot on enterprise, good enterprise. Mm-hmm. And especially I've worked with some of them for a long time and I tell them exactly what I need from them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I also mark sections where I don't think I'm happy to be to attention. Mm-hmm. So that's the thing. But I don't do it especially the kind of writing and work I do is highly specialized. And that specialization does not allow for making a system who can be research for you. My research is highly specialized. And it's highly idiosyncratic. So it's very difficult for having a to do that and do it myself. When I'm drawing, sometimes I use a simple shading. But those are basic shading, not very complex shading. But otherwise it's also done by me. So, everything that you see in a book, whether it's the writing or the text, the layouting with the design, all that is done by me.
1: Wow. That's uh, interesting. So, you're really, really involved in multiple facets of the book. That's awesome.
2: Yeah, uh, because, I, you know, for me, it's how the reader reads the book. I'm very particular about, you know, how the, how, when a man goes to a bookshop, what do you see? You see the spine of the book. So the spine of the book is very important to me. Then how do the cover of the book then become important? So all that, how the eye move on a page? You know, my books are not just text, right? There are also illustrations, there are bullet points, there are tables. My books are very complex. It's not the kind of books that you really, even the books uh, publishers have to deal with. Because uh, most people don't the illustrations with these tables and flowcharts, them. I use them a lot of them. So yeah. that's the kind of, like my books, they have 100 illustrations, 200 illustrations. Not the kind of stuff that you regularly see in the market. Got it,
1: got it. And, and you mentioned that you also, you know, you have diversity in your schedule, you also do illustrations. So these illustrations are done by you or by professionals? No, because it's my illustrations. I illustrate my books. Wow. And how did that habit
3: come about?
2: Well, it's always been part of my writing. When I have a medical student, I mean, medicine you illustrate your work. Illustration a very important part of medicine. Anatomy and physiology and all the things. So, I've always been a writer and in my life. Anybody in the biological sciences you knows that I'll a diagram. Mm-hmm. So, for so me, my illustrations are like my diagram, and they've always been the twin part. So I, when I would write a column, I would illustrate my column. So, it's always big up than that. I always visualize my writing. Mm-hmm. So, right, you know, like if I was a, a scholars, so I think I would say by now, I have
3: about 5-6,000
1: illustrations. Wow. You know, it's interesting you use the word visualization. And I think it's a very powerful technique, normally used by authors, by many successful, uh, you know, CEOs and entrepreneurs as well. So, tell us a little bit about how you visualize that. Uh,
2: well, I sort uh, spent a lot of time trying to imagine putting my attention reader's the hat. And because my my writings are slightly not very simple, in the sense I expect like that I demand a lot from the reader, and I don't make it too simple. They have to move with me, but I sort of imagine the, how they are going and the journey they have to go through within the book. The first page, the second page, what happens when they turn the book? How when did they fall? Where did they fall? So imagine the entire thing in my head. Uh, you know, how will the eye move? All that is part of my... And luckily I've got a very good layout team. Uh, my friend, Khaivath uh, Chhaira, who designed my books. Uh, he's about how to help me along with that. So that becomes very important. Like I know at this point, a diagram is needed. Mean, at this point, a table is needed. Because I'm imagining what the reader is going through when he in my life. Yeah.
1: You know, I've done hundreds of such interviews with authors like that. And I have to tell you that you're probably the only one who stands out for me for understanding the reader's user experience. <laughs> I think it plays a lot into the book itself. Which leads me to the next question. It's one thing to write a book, to illustrate a book, and to design a book, but it's a completely different thing to market the book. What strategies have you really worked for you?
2: i never launch a book. I don't believe in book launches. Mm-hmm. I believe that the book is slowing. Yes, no, Awareness is important there for social media, so pre-marketing is very important to me and the business coming, And also, because I write about 3-4 books a year, it's a process for me. So there's a pre-marketing change, then the book goes into the market, but the book is the bookshop. I use a lot of social media, like so Twitter, Facebook, Facebook Live, uh, Instagram, I use a lot. Then gradually, because the festivals are there, I talk about one book at a time, only. I don't talk about three things. Hmm. I talk about one book at a time, so... I keep talking about and discussing various aspects of the book, its design, illustration. Basically, trying to reach out to different different audiences so that they get intrigued by the book. My whole idea is that if you buy one of my books, you'll buy ten of my books. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the whole idea. So I don't. I think in terms of long term strategy. So you know when I'm writing the contents of the uh, Hindu calendar, I'd already visualized the book of Tamsi, Shiva, Vishnu, Baby. When I'm writing my I had already visualized my, you know, my Chalisa and a forthcoming book of my series. When I'm writing columns, I'm already visualizing the books that will come out of this thing. So i think very long term in these matters. And I, you know, I had visualized about 10 years ago that our bookshop should have a shelf with all my books and that's what I think has emerged over time. So I think in those terms, so I don't believe in these launches and celebrity endorsements, and I think the book should be the greatest endorsement is what I've now. People, I and if you don't give value to people that I'm thinking, there are certain by on my book, you will be so happy to get a it that he will to 10 people, he'll buy it for 10 people, he'll buy my older package. Uh, so for me, that is it. If there is no value, he doesn't see value from the money he's paying me, and, uh, then there is no point to write the book. I don't write it for self-reculture. I write it to give value to my reader. I'm very particular about it.
1: Beautiful. I really like your uh, your habit of focusing on one book at a time because once the person uh, gets convinced picks that book and he loves it, then obviously he's gonna go and look for your other books and you have thirty plus for for that person to play with, which is a great sales and marketing strategy.
2: Yeah, it took twenty years to reach this point. And yes. I'm, I've worked with multiple publishers. I don't have to be publisher, I was a part of publishers because I write faster than the publishers can publish.
1: <laughs>
2: so, which leads me to the
1: next question. One of the things um, where there's a gripe about traditional publishing is that the entire publishing process is so slow. And you answered that question for me, which is by using four of the publishers, then you really defeat that the letharginess and the long-windedness, which is a great strategy, in my opinion. What would be your advice for others? who we'll kind of step back and saying that, oh my goodness, after finishing writing, it's going to take another eight months for the book to come out.
2: you should decide what kind of book you're writing. Why are you writing the book? Most people write it because they want to indulge their own ego, or is it because they're bringing value to the market or they just want to be recognized as an author. You must also understand the world from the publisher's point of view. If you are not known in the market, the publisher is not there as a charity. He doesn't know if you are going to be a success. Mm-hmm. He doesn't know if he's going to recover the money. And we I always think from the publisher's point of view, if he doesn't recover the money, he doesn't do your your low bet for him. Therefore he's not going the time money research from you. So you have to make it happen for the publisher, for the first book at least, so that he will want you to value the a book. And I think that is something you must always understand. You always have to understand that the value for the customer and your two customers. My first customer is my publisher. Mm-hmm. If my publisher doesn't make money, he doesn't care for me. -hmm. So, I don't write, the publisher is not doing me a favor. I have to make money for my publisher. I have to bring value to my reader. If I don't bring value to my reader, he will not buy my book. If my reader doesn't buy my book, my publisher doesn't make money. If my publisher doesn't make money, why would you want to publish my Perfect. So, I appreciate the business cycle of it and I know the cost. It is a very expensive proposition. He is going to invest a large sum of money and usually we don't have the time and resources and marketing is not there. So you have to go out there and sell. It. And, you know, it is not easy because, and I want people it's it can really just be writing I have to blog about it. I have to put it on Facebook. You
3: know,
2: uh, even though I have been fairly successful, I still follow Facebook, I still write a lot of articles free, I give it to various situations. You have to work very hard because readers are so spoiled for choice and there's so much of information overload. Why would they pick up a law book? and you have to think from that brutal market content that
1: nobody really interested in your book. Right. You have to make it interesting. Yes. That's beautifully uh, beautiful. Absolutely beautifully put. You said that you now average between three to four books a year, which is humongous because I know people who are struggling with her book for many years at a time.
2: So, what is your
1: big, hairy audacious goal?
2: Well, I think I don't have any <laughs> Now, I'm like, I'm enjoying the journey. as an enough contracts in a next couple of years. So at least if I do a good job of that, I think I'm really happy.
3: Got it.
1: And which means that you now focus full-time as an author, David. they Yes,
2: I am. Uh, but, uh, from 2008 onwards, i was been full-time with psychology. They said that I should go full-time job. So for, say, from 96 when I started driving to 2008, so for a period of 12 years to 13 years, I was a full-time job and writing. Mm-hmm. And after which, I could afford to do digital time. So I was quite lucky.
3: Got it. But as that, the data
1: subspace. Got it. not some such is key, Yeah. Now, data is very synonymous with mythology. Like you said, it's 20 years of hard work for you to establish yourself. But I also like the fact that you are playing to your strength. You focus all your books on about mythology, but mythology leading to business and leading to government and various other things. So would that also be a and advice to people for them to really nail a niche?
2: See, I never set out to author or a communicator. I enjoy mythology. Mm-hmm. See, even if I was not a professional writer, I would still be in mythology. mythology is not something I do because there's a market for it. Mm-hmm. I was writing even before there was a market. Before it was fast to do. Mm-hmm. In 1996, when I published book Shiva and Vishnu, maybe, I don't think mm-hmm. anybody knew I mean, the kind of play with so the So, I always be writing and when we play, Hmm. So I am pursuing my passion. That it makes money, and that is the is incidental and a bonus. My joy is in reading mythology, writing about mythology, decoding mythology, and discovering frameworks that nobody else has discovered. So I think that's my joy,
3: and
2: you know, this incidental success can come because of.
1: Got it. Great answer. You are also an excellent orator. I mean, this interview itself is you know, so people can glean out of that. So how did you establish yourself as a professional speaker?
2: Well, I did again, you know, I was still lucky. I was approached by a professional speaking agency.
3: Mm-hmm. And
2: people approached me long time ago, uh, you know, to give lectures. And, uh, you know, it really accelerated daily after the peg talk. Mm-hmm. But even before that, I used to give a lot of lectures and I used to by a lot of people to talk about the in informal forums. So, I, I have always been in education and the basic process college. You know, people would never pay attention to education and debating competition in colleges. But I used to a lot of attention because I realized a long time ago that a person who speaks well gets a lot of attention. You know, it's like a good-looking person when he enters the room gets a lot of attention. Yep. A person who speaks well gets a lot of attention. Yep. So, you know, uh, uh, doctors who are smart and good-looking get good, a lot of attention. Doctors who speak well get a lot of attention. So I had this, this elicitude of debating and you know, I sort of owned that same college long before the college came in the picture.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And uh, over time I realized I'm also a very good uh, lecturer. I was actually doing these lectures in HIV in that college which is very popular.
3: Mm-hmm. And I
2: sort of that... So sort half of it but then slowly over time it became professional because you know I got a speaker you know, approaching me really like to do this professionally. And I was quite surprised it all happened very organically, you not know? too much planned. I then set out to be a speaker, the market called me. Mm. Got it,
1: got it. And obviously one feeds the other. The speaking helps the book book sales or the books help you get more speaking gigs. That's a popular combination. Yes.
2: That that goes down, yeah. But really, I always tell people, mine is not based on, like, I had a plan to become an author and to become a speaker. This happened very organically. I had a plan to, enjoy to spend my three times, study the policy. That's all. Rest of it just happened. Opportunities came at the moment, became a grass in the score. But I never, sort of, had a plan. These were just, I think I made myself attachment to opportunities, and opportunities came to me. Got it, got it.
1: And, uh, last two questions, that In your 20-year journey as an author, what are some of the mistakes that you did as an author? And uh, obviously, you have learned from them. What would you like to share for our uh, our listeners, and how can they not make the same mistake?
2: I think uh, one of the biggest mistakes I did in one of my projects is went. I was so much in a hurry to finish the project. Hmm. I shouldn't have done that because I've mean, for one more month and quality would have been very much, much better. Hmm. That's one of the biggest questions I have learned. And second, I have learned is that do not over expect from the publisher. Hmm. The publisher is good at publishing the book and distributing the book, and you have to take the lead. Why, yes, you can. put the... people are very unhappy with publishers, but really the whole thing is in your hands. Hmm. We are a very small market in the global thing, and you know, unless one hits the jackpot. The publisher can do only this much. You have to do it yourself. And that is something that one has to take responsibility for that.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think that's a very, especially for newbie authors, I think this is a very powerful lesson for them to really learn. And last question, outside of mythology, what are your other passions?
2: Obviously, I have no other passions. (laughs) 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 I I like spending time with my friends that much nature is a lot. Mm -hmm. But otherwise, my life is for body changing only by somebody years, So, really? I more dramatically. I wish I was more interested in going to the gym which has been my tragedy.
1: <laughs> but absolutely, lastly, what phenomenal nuggets of wisdom gave that um, I Really, on behalf of all our listeners, thank you so much for taking the time off to do this. Thank you.
0: You were listening to the conversation with Devdat Patnaik, mythologist, best-selling author, and a professional speaker. I hope you learned something useful from this podcast. To listen to the rest of the episodes with other best-selling authors, please visit notionpress.com podcast. I look forward to seeing you at the next episode. Until then, take care and bye-bye.